Is the thrill gone from the stock market? It's been awfully chilly lately as summer comes to an end and the big technology stocks lose their luster. Some of the world's biggest banks are being accused of two decades of abetting illicit money laundering. A big shakeup at electric truck maker Nikola. Economic signals around the world point to a broad-based recovery, but is the recession over? We'll look inside the leading economic indicators for signs of strength. And where is Howard Lindzen, one of tech's savviest investors, looking for more opportunities? We'll spend a few good minutes with a serial entrepreneur and tech investor. Plus what you need to know about sector rotations, your term of the week. Let's get our mojo going again and bring that throwback because you are on the Investopedia Express with me, Caleb Silver. Here are a few headlines to get us going to start the week. It's a sea of red to start things off, and global markets from Shenzhen to the South Street Seaport are selling off. A bombshell report by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists says J.P. Morgan, Deutsche Bank, and several other major banks ignored or abetted trillions of dollars in money laundering in the past two decades, this even after the U.S. imposed penalties on those financial institutions. The documents identified more than $2 trillion in transactions between 1999 and 2017 that were flagged by internal compliance officers as possible money laundering or other criminal activity. Among the banks flagged in the report, Deutsche Bank, J.P. Morgan, HSBC, Started Chartered, and Bank of New York Mellon, among others. Financial stocks are under heavy pressure following this report. The high-flying, highly-valued, and highly-mysterious electric truck maker Nikola has ousted its founder and chairman. Trevor Milton announced he was voluntarily stepping down and will be replaced by Stephen Gursky, the former vice chairman of General Motors and a member of Nikola's board. This comes less than two weeks after a report from short seller Hindenburg Research that accused Nikola of misleading investors with its marketing claims. The U.S. Department of Justice and the SEC have reportedly been looking into those claims, but the air is out of Nikola's tires as shares are headed downhill in a hurry. Remember, it was just two weeks ago that General Motors announced an 11% stake in the company. Meanwhile, Tesla's Elon Musk hopes to steal the spotlight this week as the company hosts its shareholder meeting on September 22nd. That will be immediately followed by the highly anticipated Battery Day event on the 23rd. Expectations are that Tesla will reveal plans to ramp up battery capacity and may even show off its highly anticipated million-mile battery. Tesla shares are down 7% in September. Oh, but they're up just 428% this year. Not a bad return. We're on the fringe of earnings season as the third quarter is coming to an end, but some retailers like Nike are set to report results. Nike will report its fiscal first quarter on September 22nd, and investors want to know how digital sales are running, but maybe more important, how strong are sales in China, its second biggest market? How healthy is the Chinese consumer? Reports from China's National Statistics Bureau show the economy has recovered very robustly in the last several months. But let's hear what Nike has to say about that. It's time for our big story of the week, and three straight weeks of declines for the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 have many investors, especially a lot of new ones, wondering where the magic has gone from the stock market. Consider this. The S&P 500 is down more than 5% since the beginning of September. That was just three weeks ago. In that time, Apple and Amazon, two of its biggest constituents by market cap, are down 19% and 16% respectively. Microsoft, Facebook, Netflix, and Alphabet, they're all down 11% or more. Well, there goes your momentum as the FANG stocks have lost their bite. But this is happening just as the economic recovery we've been waiting for for months starts to really take hold. 
Most economic indicators, except for the U.S. labor market, are showing real signs of strength. Is the recession over? And if so, where do we go from here? To really get inside the recovery, we have to look at the leading economic indicators. And there's no one better to do that with than my friend Lakshman Achutan from the Economic Cycle Research Institute. He's also a columnist on Investopedia. First of all, briefly, what are the leading economic indicators and what are they telling us about the health of the U.S. economy more than six months into the pandemic? Well, leading indicators are designed first and foremost to get the direction of the economy right. So like a new order would move up ahead of actual production, that kind of idea. And what we see with the leading indicators is that they've been going straight up. They're unequivocal in the recovery call. In fact, I think on Investopedia back in early April, we talked about this is going to be a pretty short recession. There's going to be a recovery. One thing that happens with all recessions, a little away from leading indicators, is that, you know, there are pretty strong recoveries after the recession. You get a little V-shape. It's virtually guaranteed that that happens. And in this case, because of the nature of this recession, when we started to open up, pretty sharp recovery and also the size of the decline. And so I think there was a lot of hesitation. How could there be a recovery? I don't understand. It doesn't feel like it should be yet, but that's just the nature of the way a cycle works. And now in your lead in, you said, you know, where are we headed? What are they telling us about the strength? Where's it going? On balance, all of our leading indexes, and we have many because the economy is pretty complex, as you know. So all of them, the, the weekly leading index, leading indicators for different sectors of the U.S. economy, they're all moving to the upside. So this recovery is set to continue in the coming months, maybe the next couple of quarters. Beyond that, we don't know. And we do know that after the first year of recovery, regardless of how bad the recession is, all bets are off. So I said most economic indicators are pretty strong right now, relatively speaking. We've come a long way. The labor market, although jobs have been added back, seems a little sticky, and the Federal Reserve seems very concerned about that. That is an indicator. Is it a leading indicator? And even if it's not, how much of a drag could it be on the overall recovery? Well, it is a drag on the overall recovery. Uh, First off, I was very careful there not to talk about people-facing businesses. If it's a big people-facing business, a concert, some sort, even restaurants going out, travel, foreign travel, renting cars, all that kind of stuff that human beings tend to like to do, we're, we're very reticent about that. And that is weakening the recovery that we otherwise have. The recovery is really underpinned in housing, in particular outside of urban areas, and goods, stuff that you can buy and use around the house. And so the services side of this recovery, it looks like it's going to take quite a while until people, it doesn't even matter, I don't think so much about a vaccine or testing or or therapies. I mean, that's all super critical, but it's how much do you trust in those things? And I think trust probably takes a little while to build. Now, the economy and the stock market, not the same thing. Sometimes they reflect one another. They've been operating in sort of different galaxies for a little while, although you can start to see some of that coming. When you look at the sectors that actually are rallying, you actually see the mining sector a little bit, some of the industrials. You've seen this rotation of money. How much of that is reflecting the fact that there is an actual recovery going on or there's just exhaustion with this massive run-up in technology stocks? Stocks are a leading indicator. They're imperfect. And so we do pay a lot of attention to market prices. And so 
when you drop rates to zero, you're discounting all that future cash flow. And so you want to go to those big, huge companies that might make money in five or 10 years. And you know the list. It's all those big tech companies, right? So those get super priced, plus they're paying a dividend. They all look, that's an old story. But what's been happening underneath, which I think ties directly to the cycle, is there's a really clear, classic textbook, global industrial upturn going on. And those industrials have been outperforming tech relative to the S&P. And that's no small thing. And I think it's related to what we're talking about here. And of course, all of this has an asterisk on it because low interest rates and, and what the Fed has been doing is supporting the market. And this brings us to the first dichotomy kind of in what we're seeing. If you own a home, in particular outside of a city, or you own equities, eh, you feel okay. I mean, big picture, you're still worried about all of the things we're worried about with the virus and with the economy, but those aspects of your holdings, your personal holdings are, are kind of holding up. But for half of Americans, minimally, maybe more, they don't own any equities and they don't own a home. And so they're kind of left out on that score. And if they are in a service sector job, then they're under even more pressure. So that's where you get this K-shaped economy being talked about all the time. Recovery is relative, as we know. You did write back in April that this would be a short recession. Is the recession over? Oh, yeah. No, the recession is over. I, I, we can't say when exactly it is. We've got to really wait. You know, it's a lot of revisions in the data. The recession is over, meaning the recovery has started. The level of activity is rising. We are not back anywhere near. We have not recouped the pre-recession levels. And if you compare it as we do to past recessions, we've got a ways to go on jobs and output to even kind of catch up to the recovery from the Great Recession, which is the last one people may remember in 08, 09. And so even if you're kind of comparing this recovery to that one, you know, we're not there yet. We, we have some ways to go. And we know that that one took a while. Appreciate your insights. As always, Lakshman Achatan of the Economic Cycle Research Institute. Check out their stuff on on Equity site, tremendous stuff. And you are also featured on Investopedia. Thanks so much, Lakshman. You're welcome. It's time to spend a few good minutes with our featured guests of the week. And we are delighted to be joined by serial entrepreneur and tech investor, Howard Lindzen. Howard has been an early investor in some of the hottest companies to come out of the software and internet communications industries in the past 10 years. I first met Howard when he launched StockTwits, the online community for stock traders and enthusiasts that is still going strong more than a decade later. But that's just one of the pies Howard has his fingers in as a private investor. He's also a very experienced investor in public companies with a particular point of view about who the future winners will be. Let's spend a few good minutes with Howard Lindzen. Howard, welcome to The Express. That was great. I accept I hate pie. Who hates pie? It's great to have you here. Howard, as you look at what this pandemic has done to us on a social level, what industries excite you most as an investor? Well, it's such a loaded question because it's hard to be excited. Like it's fun to survive, obviously, because it's hell for so many people. But what gets me excited is the same things that got me excited before. You know, if we think about the world that I live in, social and software, all that happened since then after the scare, right? There was a scare. There's no doubt. The VIX was at 90 and, and we could argue about what we could do. It's too late to argue now. I mean, everybody's trying to argue. But in hindsight, man, there was a moment there where everything looked like it was falling apart. And then 
cooler heads prevailed and the money rushed into the same thing that it was doing in January. So I don't think people really had seen that because in 2008, even the great companies just fell 70, 80%, right? And stayed down for at least a year or, or so. So it seems to me that the things that matter are communications always, and that we finally have the tools to really just sit at our desk or be on our phone with AirPods, Spotify, Slack, Jira for the teams that, you know, Atlassian. And so it's just, it's more of the same. A lot of people said that the pandemic just accelerated a lot of the trends that were already in place. And that's what I'm hearing you saying. And the fact that we are working from home, schooling from home, doing most of these things from home means that software and the connectivity is so key to the way we live. You watch the money flow, there's not enough software companies. And then you look within software, there's not enough open source software companies. This is why Snow went crazy. Is because right now Elastic and MongoDB are the only two pure open source public software companies. Because that's normally not been a business that an entrepreneur would want to start giving away free software. In the next 10 years, you'll probably see a hundred of those. You're also an experienced investor in the public markets. You ran a hedge fund for many years. You're still an active investor in public companies and a commentator on many of them. Which companies are you most bullish on now? We've talked about the Slacks and the Zooms and the companies and the software companies that are out there and garnering a lot of attention and a lot of money. Which ones are you bullish on now? Which ones do you wish you owned before all this happened? Uh, you know, I own the ones that I that I want. I've made some mistakes, obviously, because I didn't expect the Nasdaq to go back to all time highs. So, you know, March seemed you know, I started a show called Panic with Friends, like March 10th, because the idea was, you know, even though I, I'm not a podcaster, I just said, wait, this is, people are panicked. It was a little late to panic. You should have panicked in January when they're building Wuhan, you know, the hospital. So March 10th, I was like, put a, a stake in the ground. I said, listen, it's not good, but you got to buy something. And I had Jim O'Shaughnessy on, and then I had just a parade of great venture capitalists on talking about Peloton and all the companies that they should be thinking about. And so I'm really happy about that. Now we're in August, September, actually, and it's a little bit different. Everything I liked is tripled. But so, so now I think about relative. You know, my favorite company right now is Zillow. Zillow was hammered in March. And it makes sense. People were, ah, oh, real estate. Like, you know, everything went down. And, and they're lending, a site on scene. But Zillow, what we saw was people are still moving. And people are on Zillow all day trying to figure out where they should live next, what zip code. And here we are uh, in September, the stock's, you know, a $20 billion company now. So it's not like it's a small company. But in a, in a world of 20-year-old internet brands, you know, much like, there's certain brands that are iconic, like Investopedia, right, that can run in anything. Zillow is one of those brands that's undervalued in the scope of what other internet brands are. Like when you think of looking for a home, when you think of, of data around homes, and how real estate works. That is one of the top brands in the world. So relatively, I think that's a 50 to $100 billion brand over the next 20 years, and your downside is 50%. So I love them. I like anything that also in the back end connects companies. So API and open source type companies. Elastic is one of my favorite companies. You know, very few people have heard of it. And they supply search within, you know, if you search a ticker on StockTwits or, or Twitter, you search something, or Uber when you're searching, Elastic powers a lot of this search. So inside corporations, inside apps, inside websites. So Elastic is, you know, an open source database company for search and everybody needs it. 
just like everybody needs Google. And so I think those are two really interesting companies. One that you probably, a brand name you've never heard of, but everybody needs. And one, a brand name everybody's heard of and goes, what? I don't know, do real estate? Uh, so that's like a, a, a good opposite. And then Spotify, right? Like it's very competitive. Amazon just announced music. Apple's doing bundles. So it's not like a simple idea, but just like Netflix, Spotify is so focused on what they do. There's no distractions. And so we know where all the enemies are. We know where all the problems are. And Spotify's just got that brand that I feel like risk reward in with AirPods and with the fact that we have all this time. Uh, I think Spotify for the next five, 10 years is just one of those iconic brands that you can own. Sure. So you believe still in the content as being so important to to their model and to most business models for companies that are in that space. You create a ton of content. You help generate a ton of content. Go to howardlinzen.com, folks. Yeah, or I push people to Spotify to hear my podcast, right? It's like Spotify is the place where I push people. And Elastic is how power so many companies and Zillow powers real estate. So those are just three great brands that should be able to survive like anything over the next 10 years. If you were just beginning to invest today, or if you're helping your two kids start to invest, what would your advice be to them as they maybe dipping a toe into some pretty choppy waters, especially these days? How should the new investor approach investing in 2020, 2021? It's a great question. So my birthday, now I'm 55, and Chris Kimball who's great technician, a great thinker out of Kansas, simple trader. He sent me for my birthday, he sent me, you know, on September 17, 1965, the Dow was 937. And on September uh, 17th, uh, 1982, the Dow was 950. And he goes, you were turning it 17 years old and the market was breaking out. You know, so like, and look what happened over the next 40 years. So, so don't try and time the market. You know, you know, what I did with my kids, we just started buying companies a while ago, like they understood, you know, Nike, Lulu, Peloton, uh, Google, Facebook, Zoom. Whenever we see a brand that we think and we chat about it and we add it to their portfolio. Uh, we don't think so much about portfolio management yet. You know, it's kind of equal weighted, but we're always adding companies and taking companies out that they use every day. I call them eight to 80 companies, which are, you know, eight-year-olds use the products and 80-year-olds use the product. And when you find companies that like that, it's very easy to own those companies because it's hard to get scared of owning them. When the market pulls back, you know that 80-year-old people are still using the product, whether it's Nike or Google. So, so that's the way we think about it. But the, early, the easiest thing to do is they have to get started. So it's a parent's job. You know, probably once a kid's 12 or 13 or 14 to start talking about brands and companies and explaining this language to them. I love the Big Daddy Kane reference in the 8 to 80 uh, mentality, which is great. And that's what I do with my kids and my nephews and nieces too, which is look at the companies that are out there, the companies you use. Now let's look at their books and see how they're performing and see if we want to add them. And it's all about sort of knowing what you own, looking under the hood, understanding the way the businesses work and then making a decision whether you want to be invested with them for the long term. So I love that approach. And it sounds like it's your approach basically with, with what you do in the private markets and the public markets. Very fundamental. Do I get it? Do I understand the business? And then ultimately, do you believe in the people? There's no stupid questions, right? It's kind of like stumbling and bumbling investing is like, keep it very simple. It's easy to get it very complicated. If you watch the news and you watch media and you listen to a thousand analysts that you don't know, talk about stocks and weird things, you know, whether it's rare earth or, or space. But in the end, when the shit hits the fan, people end up owning the companies that make sense to them. 
And right now, when you have a choice between a digital and a physical asset, the cloud versus, you know, civilian type land-based stocks, you have to really, if now what I'm saying, when an eight to 80 choice becomes between a digital and a physical, you're probably better off for the next 30 years picking a digital asset, you know, that have, that gets 60 to 100% of their money digitally and doesn't have buildings and infrastructure and all these things that they rely on. Well, you make a lot of sense. And if folks want to follow you, they should go to howardlinzen.com. You got your blog that comes out every day, which is a great read. You got your podcast, you got your, your show Panic with Friends, and you just put out a ton of great material. But beyond it all is this passion you have for investing and for business that you've been sort of pushing for the last 20 or so years. And it's been a pleasure to know you during that time. Happy birthday to you. And we appreciate you joining us on The Express. Yeah, great to see you, man. It's terminology time, time for us to stay smart with an investing term that you need to know this week. This week's term, sector rotation. Sector rotation, according to Investopedia, refers to the act of shifting investments from one sector of the market to another. Sector rotation involves using the proceeds from the sale of securities related to a particular investment sector for the purchase of securities in another sector. This strategy is used as a way to capture returns for market cycles and diversify holdings over a specific holding period. So why are we talking about sector rotation this week? Well, if you hadn't noticed, the NASDAQ has fallen 10% or more from its recent highs, which is technically a correction, several times in the past few weeks. Meanwhile, industrial, manufacturing, and mining stocks have been gathering strength as the economy recovers. If you look at money flow from the big institutional investors over the past three months, you'll see that those big investors just put money into stocks last week for the first time in 12 weeks. A lot of that money has gone into cyclical stocks tied to the recovery, like industrials and manufacturing, while a lot of money has come out of the high-flying tech sector. It's a good sign for the overall market recovery, but when big tech stocks trip, the overall market falls pretty hard. That's our term for the week, and that's it for this edition of the Investopedia Express. We appreciate all the comments, the reviews, and the feedback so far. Please keep it coming and recommend the show to a friend if you like it. Keep two hands on the wheel this week, stay smart, stay healthy, and stay with Investopedia by subscribing to our newsletters and social feeds. We appreciate you. I'm Caleb Silver, and we'll talk to you next week.